0: As you are getting yourself situated, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Two weeks ago, we started in this chapter, we're going to do just a chapter study here. of 1 Corinthians is known as the love chapter. The context in which it's given or written is uh, in the context of spiritual gifts. Paul writing to the church at Corinth, uh, really correcting some issues in the church and how the church, they loved the flashy type spiritual gifts that maybe brought attention to themselves. There were divisions in the church and so on. And the Apostle Paul in chapter 12 uh, talks about how a church is to be like a body, a physical body, how you have all these different parts and pieces, but any one of those parts and pieces are useless on their own. They're to be used for the edification or the function of the whole body. And that's what a New Testament church is made up of, different people, different personalities with different backgrounds, and how it all should fit together in unity for the good of the whole body. And Paul says in chapter 12, and I believe it's verse 25, that there should be no schism in the body, no rift, no separation, nothing out of joint, but that the members should have the same care one for another. That's the context in which chapter 13 is written. And how Paul says all of these other things, as important as they might be, as useful as they might be, The one thing that is more important than anything else, and the thing that's going to last, is how we love one another. And that's what chapter 13 is really all about, and we'll do just a little review of what we talked about last week before we move on. But before I do that, I just want to remind us of something, and here's what I want to remind us of. God is very good to you and to me. God is so gracious and God is so kind and God is so good to us that he has given us so much more than what we ever would deserve, which really is nothing. We don't deserve anything except judgment. And so God has been so good to give us anything. And I want you just to think of it for a second because we need to be reminded of how good God is to us. And I can't do it justice in just a few words, but I'll trust that the Spirit of God will do it in your own heart. The very first thing that you need to remember and remind yourself of is that, is that the Lord Jesus Christ was sent to this world, who died on a cross, who gave his lifeblood so that you and I could be saved. God is so good to us because he provided a means of salvation even to the vilest of sinners. Beyond salvation, God has given us precious promises like, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Or like, I will provide and meet all of your needs. According to the riches of Christ uh, in, in, in glory. In John 10, 28, Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. And when a person is saved, we have an abundant life in Christ. Beyond that... God puts us in a body and gives us a place to serve Him, to lay up treasure in heaven. And God gives us spiritual gifts to be used for His kingdom in and through the Lord's church. And there's so many more things that we could say about that, but we need to remember that God is good to you and to me. God loves you and me. Now, I'm going to go somewhere, so don't check out. I want you to think. I want you to think about the Lord. I want you to think about Christ. I want you to think about God's goodness to you and to me. God loves you. God loves me. I don't deserve it. In fact, Jeremiah 31 in verse 3 tells us that God loves us with an everlasting love. A love that will not die. It is God's love that motivated him to send Jesus Christ into this world to save sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. In fact, the greatest evidence of the love of God toward you and me is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 that God commendeth or proved his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know what God's greatest gift to us is? Him, Himself, and His love. God is love. His love was placed within our hearts when we were saved by His grace. The Bible says in Romans 5 and verse 5, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. His love working in us and then displayed to one another is actually the greatest testimony that we have to a lost world. I mentioned it earlier, John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one toward another. When we walk in love, one toward another and for another we're walking in obedience to the lord john 13:34 a new commandment i give unto you that ye love one another as i have loved you that ye also love one another it's a matter of obedience to the lord when we walk in love for one another we prove that we are actually a, a new creature We're saved by His grace. 1 John 3 and verse 14, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. One of the problems in the church at Corinth was that they were manifesting nearly every spiritual gift in existence but they were not walking in love one toward another. The Corinthian people, like I said, they loved the flashy gifts. They loved the speaking in tongues, other languages. They loved the gift of prophecy. They loved the gifts that made them look good or look spiritual in the eyes of others. God was more interested in them coming to a place where they loved one another like He Loved them. Do you know, we can take pride in our spiritual gifts as if it was something that we have produced ourselves. A preacher can take pride in his ability to dissect the scriptures and to speak and to preach expositorily. A preacher can take pride in those things as if it was something he has developed himself. No, it's a gift of God. But see, people can take pride in the things that make them look spiritual in the eyes of others. But God's not interested in that. He's more interested in us coming to the place where we love one another like He has loved us. Godly love is the thing that is really spiritual for the Christian. Love is the first characteristic mentioned in Galatians 5.22 relating to the Spirit of God. The, the fruit of the Spirit, it is love. Not only did God love us, but then He also has caused us to be able to love. First Corinthians chapter 13, it's the love chapter, that's what we call it, but you know what it is? First Corinthians 13 is a call to more Christ-likeness. More maturity in the midst of childishness, excuse me, I can't speak, or childishness and fleshly living. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 is. It's a call for more christ likeness, to be like Jesus, some more maturity in the midst of childish living, in the midst of, of, of the flesh actually controlling. And Paul writes, these words to remind the Corinthians that of all the great spiritual things that you and I could ever do, the greatest spiritual exercise is to love like Jesus Christ. And the effect of those words is really to remind us that we can possess all kinds of spiritual gifts. We can have all kinds of abilities, but we're never more like the Lord Jesus Christ than when we love the way that he does. Obviously, again, the Greek word for charity in chapter 13 is agape, which means love. And so it is love, like Christ, that gives, that seeks not its own, but is actually seeking the good and the best for those that are being loved. And we started in chapter 13 last week and we looked at the first three verses and we talked about the preeminence of love where Paul says in verse one, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains And have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. The whole idea of those verses is that love is distinct from and superior to anything that we can be or anything that we can do. And Paul says you might have the ability to speak. You might have all faith. You might have uh, uh, even the uh, sacrificing of your own body, but you could do all of those things. And if you don't have love, it's nothing. It's as if it's nothing. It profits you nothing. You can just make a bunch of noise and that's all it is. What matters most is not whether you possess some flashy gift or not. What matters most is not how smart you are, the gift of knowledge and understanding all mysteries. What matters most is not what you possess and not what you can do. What matters most is if you have God's love. When you learn to love like Jesus Christ, then we've discovered what matters most. That's the thing that's most important to God, and that's the preeminence of love. Paul says it's the it's the thing that's going to last. It's the thing that's better than all the others, and that's how he ended chapter 11, uh, rather 12, rather. He said, "But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way." And then he goes on to talk about what that more excellent thing is, and that's the love of Jesus Christ. And so we talked about the preeminence of love last week. Today, we're going, to start, we're going to start talking about the portrait of love. And we find it in verses 4 through 7. We may or may not get through all of this today. I don't know. But we'll just go as, as long as we can uh, with this. But let's look in verse 4 and read down through verse 7. Charity, or love, suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, "...is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things." And we'll consider other, the rest of those verses at another time. But today we're going to talk about the portrait of love, and in these verses that we've just read here, Paul gives us an in-depth description of what love towards others actually looks like. And he reveals the characteristics of it to us. And these are truths that we need to be reminded of continually. You know why? Because it's not our version of what it looks like, it's what the Bible says real love looks like. Does that make sense? You say, oh, I love you, I love my brother, I love my sister, I love my my friend, I love my spouse, I love whatever, I love people. We can say, I love you, and we can have this idea in our mind of what that looks like, and it's my interpretation, or by my standard, or by, by my terms, but God says, no, here's what God's love actually looks like. And that's what we ought to seek or strive to be like, Christ and His love, God's love. And so let's take a walk through these verses here and break them down one by one. In verses 4 through 6, we see love's features, and Paul shows us what godly love looks like. And as he does, the person of God is revealed to us more and more. He says in verse 4, first of all, that charity or love suffereth long. Godly love is long-suffering. What that means, what that definition of suffereth long is, it means patient endurance under provocation. And so the Apostle Paul says that God's love Godly love that is, should be working through us. It's not that we try harder to love more, but it's as I grow closer to the Lord and I become more like Jesus Christ, His love is beginning to work in me and through me towards other people. And what it looks like is long suffering. It suffereth long, it's patient endurance under provocation. The literal meaning of the word is long tempered. And it's a characteristic of love that reveals. A truth about God, that God is not one who retaliates. That's what it means to be long-tempered. That's what it means to be long-suffering, Seth, is that God doesn't retaliate. He's long-tempered. This characteristic of love tells us that God's love is not one that retaliates. We can think of all kinds of examples in the scriptures of this. I think, first of all, of Stephen, when he was being stoned, Stephen is a good example of God's love towards other people, being being, uh, uh, patient and enduring even uh, even under provocation. In fact, let's go take a look at some of these. Acts chapter 7 and verse 54. Acts 7 and verse 54. And we'll just, we'll condense some of this because all of chapter 7 is really about the stoning of Stephen and I want to highlight a few verses here. In verse 54, the Bible says, when they heard these things, the things that they heard was Stephen preaching, which brought great conviction to their soul. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their feet at the clothes of a young, or the young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus Receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. What a great example. Stephen, being stoned, had a heart attitude that it was actually for the well-being of other people. He said, lay not this sin to their charge. Of course, the greatest example is that of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom the Bible says when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to the Lord. And what's the application? Because to apply the truth in our life, To be more like Christ and to follow the Scriptures, the pattern of the Scriptures, is to to love one another. And the kind of love that that God has and that that the Word of God is speaking about is one that is long-suffering or long-tempered. And so here we have to make the application... Do I have that kind of a love in my heart in, towards my brethren, towards, towards those that, that, that are my family in the Lord and so on? And, and, and we can think about situations like, for example, in my flesh, it's very hard to have a, a long temper or to suffer long when I feel like I'm being attacked. But godly love is patient. Similar to patience and forbearance, long-suffering is the quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation. My tendency is to want to retaliate and do it quickly when I feel like I'm being attacked, especially unjustly. You can make accusation against me. You can bring all these things. You can have your opinions. And and most of the time, it's behind somebody's back. But if it's face to face, and I know it's not just, my tendency is to want to retaliate to you or to try to show you your faults. But a person who is long-suffering is not quick to retaliate or promptly punish one who is... Insulting me, or who's offended me, or who has harmed me. It's the opposite of anger. It's actually intimately associated with mercy, not giving what you really deserve. Let me just give you an illustration of what the Spirit of God can produce, and the kind of response that one can have. I read a story about the horrors of Ravensbrook. Ravensbrook was a concentration camp. And one of the most powerful illustrations of a godly kind of love that is long-suffering, that came in the midst of suffering, came from a little girl actually Ravensbrook like I said was a concentration camp it was built in 1939 it was a concentration camp that was built for women and history tells us that over 90,000 women and children perished at Ravensbrook they were murdered by the nazis Cory Tenboom who wrote The Hiding Place. She was actually imprisoned there in Ravensbrook. And the prayer of a little girl was found in the clothing of this child who was found dead at Ravensbrook. And the note was opened up. It was written and scribbled on a piece of paper. And when it was opened up, it read this, O Lord... Remember not only the men and women of goodwill, but also those of ill will. But do not remember all of the suffering they have inflicted upon us. Instead, remember the fruits that we have borne because of this suffering, our fellowship, our loyalty to one another, our humility, our courage, our generosity one toward another, The greatness of heart that has grown from this trouble in our life. When our persecutors come to be judged by you, let all of these fruits that we have borne be their forgiveness. What an amazing example of somebody who, in the face of suffering, didn't have a heart to retaliate. But you know what we None of us live in that kind of situation. None of us live in that kind of suffering. And yet we are so, so sensitive to even the smallest of little irritants that come from other people. We get so irritated and we get out of joint over the smallest bit of behavior that we perceive to be offensive. There was nobody who suffered more than Jesus Christ. And Jesus, when he was reviled, reviled not again. He threatened not, but committed himself to the one who judges righteously. If we are to come to understand God's love, we need to understand, or to be more like Christ, we need to understand that God's kind of love and Christ's love is one of being long-suffering. Even under provocation, it patiently endures. And you know, we could have offenses toward us. We can be misunderstood. And we can start to feel things towards other people. Because of those. But how much better to ask the Lord to help us Lord, help me respond like you do. Help me to be patient, to endure, to actually care about the well-being, even of the ones who would provoke me. Verse 4, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, moves on, giving us the portrait of what Christ's love looks like. It suffereth long and is kind this word kind it means to act benevolent, benevolently certainly but it really carries the meaning of to show oneself useful and what it's talking about here when it talks about acting benevolently is saying that genuine love isn't a kind that is mean or nasty but it respects others it actually reaches out to them it has the additional sense of having gentleness of spirit towards others and then it has the meaning of to show oneself useful and it's almost like the application to it and it kind of it kind of gives us pause for thought here to, to answer the, or to ask the question Are we actually of no use to the Lord if we don't have kindness in our hearts towards others? Do you know we can speak the truth, but we're supposed to speak it in love, right? That means speaking truth, but doing it kindly. When Jesus spoke truth, Jesus did it with kindness, and say, well, I'm speaking truth, and, and the sometimes truth is hard, and sometimes it's harsh. You know what? Sometimes truth is hard, but our manner and our demeanor and the way that we speak truth is so critical. You know what Paul said? You, you can have the gift of knowledge, and you can speak all kinds of things, but if there's not love in your heart, you will never get the message across. It's just a bunch of noise. You want to have an effect on people and get the message of truth across? Got to have some kindness. Some kindness about us. The supreme example of this kind of love is God, of course, because God is kind to people despite their treatment of Him. Do you know what? Even the haters of God receive blessings from Him in this life. What a kind, benevolent God He is. That even those who hate him receive blessing from him. And what we need to remember is that we ourselves were once enemies of God. I am so grateful that God is kind to me. God is kind to you. Have you ever found it hard to treat people with the same kindness that you would before you found out the things that they have said about you? Understand what I'm saying? You treat people a certain way, you're kind, but then all of a sudden you find out they... They've kind of been running their mouth behind your back. They've kind of been talking about you. They've said negative things, bad things, untrue things. And yet you still treat them with the same kindness. As if you didn't even know. That's not usually how it goes though, is it? We start to find out things that people have said or how people have acted. And oh, I know this now. And so the next time I see them... Right? I'm not going to be your friend. I know what you said. I know what you think. Well, I think some things too. But God's kind of love, in spite of people's treatment of him, is that he's still kind. And you know what the truth is? We'll not make everybody happy in this life. We're going to offend people. People aren't going to like us. And we don't necessarily have to be best friends with everybody, but you know what, if we have God's love in us, we're still going to be kind in our demeanor, in our interaction with people. Verse 4 says that charity envieth not. Here's another example of what real love looks like. And you know, what is love again? It is the, it is the concern and the care for the well-being of somebody else. I care about your soul. I care about your well-being. I actually love you. What I want is good for your life. That's what I want. I want to see you blessed of God. This is my, my highest concern, is, is your well-being. And so I'm going to treat you in a particular way that demonstrates Christ's kind of love. And one of those is that it envieth not. Real love doesn't envy True love is not jealous over the abilities or the successes or the possessions of others. Instead of being jealous when others prosper, instead of being jealous when others are excelling, instead of being jealous when others are are experiencing blessing or when others are experiencing, you know, some thriving in their life, real love is pleased when others are doing well. But you know how it is. You see somebody thriving or prospering or something is happening in their life. It's not happening in mine. And so my response isn't, man, I am so happy for you. Praise the Lord. My response is one of jealousy. When I see others are getting accolades or when others are doing well and people like them, I'm not the one who's the center of attention. It's not love. It's not Christ-like. It's self-pleasing and self-centered. But the most important thing is to be like Christ. To have His kind of love being developed and worked in me to where it's less and less of me and more and more of Him. You know what, it was jealousy that caused Joseph's brothers to throw him in a pit, right? They were jealous over the fact that they perceived that their father loved him more than them. And so they threw him in a pit. But godly love is not jealous. Rather, it is pleased when others are succeeding. And when God is glorified, it pleases other pe- It pleases you because I'm happy when you are doing well. Verse 4, to move on again. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. It vaunteth not itself. What does that mean? Well, it means this. Real love doesn't make a parade. That's what the meaning of it is. It doesn't make a parade. It doesn't vaunt itself. Love doesn't, in other words, love doesn't brag. Love doesn't draw attention to itself for what it is doing. Love does not have to be the center of attention. Godly love doesn't vaunt itself. It doesn't draw attention to itself. Do you know what? I despise it when my flesh wants to make things about me. I despise that. And you know what? I see it in others. And I hate it too. But that's usually because of my own problems. I can spot it in other people, but that's usually because of my own problems. But how much better and how much more Christ-like to prefer others better than ourselves as the Bible teaches. How much better to stop making everything about us and actually serving like Christ. How much better when we're dealing with people and one another to, to talk and to sit and to listen and to try to understand where another one is coming from so that things can be worked out in our relationship rather than to be the one doing all the talking. But to stop and to listen and to try to understand and not make it about my way and not make it about my thoughts because real love doesn't draw Attention, doesn't make a parade for itself and draw attention to itself and what it's doing. In fact, it doesn't want to be the center of attention. So when we say that we love others, oh, I love you, is that what it looks like? Or is it our Definition on our terms. Verse 4 also says, is not puffed up. Christ-like love, God's love, is not puffed up. What that means, here's the literal meaning of it. Not arrogant or proud, (laughs) big-headed. That's the meaning of it. Godly love realizes that all it has and that all it is has been given by God himself. No matter how great our talents or how spectacular our gifts, everything we are is only a result of the divine grace of God. The Lord doesn't want to use those who take credit for things that He has given. In fact, He uses the things that are despised. And the Word of God tells us that no flesh should glory in His presence. Godly love is not puffed up, it's not arrogant, it's not proud, it's not big headed. It doesn't draw attention to itself. Verse 5 says, "...doth not behave itself unseemly. Seek, if not our own, is not easily provoked. Think, if no evil." We'll talk about all those too. But the start of verse 5 says, "...it doth not behave itself unseemly." You know what that means? It means that godly love isn't rude. That's the basic meaning of it. It's not rude to others. But it treats others with consideration. It treats others with respect. It also has kind of a secondary meaning or an extended meaning that basically is this, love is not friendly one day to some people, but then as the mood changes, is rude the next day. In other words, it's consistent. It doesn't behave itself unseemly. It's not rude. It doesn't treat others with disrespect. It treats others with consideration and respect. It's not friendly one day but rude the next day. I think we I think we all can make application of that, can't we? Verse five says seeketh not her own. That means that love is not selfish and self-centered. But it's actively interested in what will profit another person. Seek if not our own means that love will ne- doesn't look at itself first, but it always considers another ahead of itself. Jesus is the prime example of that attitude in action. Let's just look at a couple Of things, and we're going to finish up here for today. We're running out of time, but Matthew chapter 20, Matthew chapter 20, and verse 28, verse 27, rather. In fact, we can go back a little bit here, go back to the context here, let's just talk about the context, is in verse 20, "...then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom." They, she was asking for a lot. Those are places of honor. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what ye ask. Then if we skip over to verse 24, And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, 'Ye, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. And here he makes the application, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He says, that's not the way it ought to be among you. In fact, he says if you want to be great, you need to be a servant. You need to be a minister even as the son of man came to be to not to be ministered unto but to minister and give his life. It's Christ-like is what he says. To be like Jesus. It doesn't seek its own. It's not self centered. It's not selfish. And here are these who were asking to be great because they wanted those accolades and so on. But Jesus says, no, no. To be great means to be the servant. And that is how each of us is to be. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, in verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. vainglory. Vainglory! But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What a thought. That godly love is not seeking after what I can get. It's not seeking after How it makes me look. It's not selfish. It's not self-centered. But it's actively interested in what will be the profit for someone else. Considering others ahead of itself. What time is it? Have you had enough? Go back and let's just consider the rest of verse 5 here. 1 Corinthians 13 again in verse 5. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Real love is not easily provoked. This one, this one might sting some more than others. The word easily provoked, it means to sharpen alongside. Basically, what it's talking about is that godly love is not going to lose its temper. It's not going to have sudden eruptions of anger. Agape love, God's love, overrules negative emotions. You know what, there are some people who are Reactive. There's some people who are a lot more prone to sudden eruptions. But godly love in a tense situation or where there's some disagreement or there's something going on, godly love is not going to make a situation worse by reactive words or actions that come out of anger. And it won't do that because... It's more concerned about the good of the relationship or the other person's benefit than its own. I know that's a problem for some, <clears throat> me sometimes, and others. We get angry, we get irritated over the behavior of somebody else and our responses are sharp our responses are out of anger or irritation and we don't have control to overrule those negative emotions and the reason is because our mindset is not really about the well-being of the relationship it's how i feel but godly love is not easily provoked And then verse 5 says, Thinketh no evil. The meaning of that, here's what it means. Here's the definition takes no worthless inventory. You know what that means? It thinketh no evil, takes no worthless inventory. There are two thoughts that are in mind here. First of all, genuine love does not attribute evil motives to people. You know how we can do that? We assign motives oh, I know why they did that, I know why they think that, I'm assigning motives to someone about why they did or said the thing that they did when I don't really know for sure, but I'm assigning the motive anyway. The actions of others are not seen in their most negative light. That's what this is talking about. Like, I see what's happening, but I'm not going to spin it and take the, you know, the the absolute worst and assign the motive of what's actually going on there. Real love doesn't take worthless inventory. That's the first thing. It doesn't attribute evil motives to people. But secondly, genuine love does not dwell on what others have done in the past. In other words, godly love doesn't remember injury. Godly love doesn't believe all it hears about another person. And godly love doesn't automatically look for or find fault in others. And this is one that is very convicting and that we need to be reminded of often. If this attitude of not finding fault, if this attitude of not believing all it hears about others, if this attitude of not remembering injury in the past, if it were practiced in homes and in churches, it would solve a lot of the drama and a lot of the problems that go on in places. Someone once said, it's natural to love them that love us, but it's supernatural to still love them that we perceive hate us. Godly love thinketh no evil. It doesn't take worthless inventory. It's not always remembering injury of the past. It's not assigning evil motives to people. And it doesn't dwell on what others have done. We're going to stop there today. And Paul is saying all of this. Let's not forget the context. Paul is saying that godly love is more important than all the things that you and I could ever do. And he says that there be no schism in the body. That there's unity of heart and unity of mind in the Lord's church. And may the Lord help us today, even as we sit here today. May the Lord help us to take it not as the words of men, but as they are in truth, the word of God. And say that God has something for me today from his word. There's something that the spirit of God is highlighting in my life. And Lord, I submit to you. I yield to you. Lord, help me to be Obedient and Lord, may I draw closer to you that Christ's likeness may be seen in and through my life. Amen? Let's pray, Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd use your word today. And Lord remind us of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf and the love that Christ has shown toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that Jesus Christ has suffered long, that he's kind, that he's not one that's easily provoked, that he doesn't think evil. Jesus Christ didn't behave himself unseemly. He didn't seek his own. Didn't make things about him. In fact, the thing that drove the Lord Jesus Christ was the care and the concern for the well being of others. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to submit ourselves to your word, to your spirit, to have a heart that, Lord, I want to be like Christ. And Lord, I want Christ's love to be manifest in me and through me towards other people. I submit myself to your will. These areas of my life that the flesh often dominates and controls, Lord, I surrender them to you. Make me more like Christ. And the effect is so that I can get the message of the love of Christ across that truth would be able to take hold in someone's life. Or that Jesus Christ is magnified, more of Him, less of me. May we all have the same heart and mind. of One accord and may there be unity and love and peace in the Lord's church, in our relationships, and then... By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have loved one for another. I pray that you'd work to that end for the glory of God in our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.